Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. It's Glenn and for John today on your home, your radio home for happy baby noises here. <laughs> Love to hear those. Thanks for joining us as we get underway. Hey, we're well underway in the season of Lent. How's it going for you? Are you struggling? It's been a very Lenty Lent for me, uh, you know, living in an area where it keeps snowing and snowing and snowing and snowing and you're shoveling and shoveling and, you know, household things been breaking. It's been quite the adventure. I've gotten some... Uh, Junior household repair badges, I think, on my way to uh, my new patch in my Scouts uh, uniform. But uh, anyway, we'll talk more about Lent and how to have more loving Lent. Emily Jaminet joins us before the hour is through. Brand new story corner coming up before this hour is done as well. Right now, going to Washington, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what the uh, legislature is up to, uh, what's happening in Congress, and uh, some good things for the family. Talking about with families under attack, what can the Congressional Family Caucus do? to fight back. Tom McDonough is with us, co-founder and president of the American Family Project. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Glenn, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, the, uh, this inauguration of the Congressional Family Caucus is a big deal. Um, you know, you won't be reading about it in the New York Times or seeing it on CNN, but uh, it's really uh, a change in the tide. And... Um, one indication of this is that in all of their uh, descriptions of themselves and their, their founding documents, they acknowledge God's authority. As uh, Mary Miller from Illinois said in her announcement on the floor of the House, uh, the natural family, that natural family was ordained by God as the foundation of our society. So uh, this is a great beginning. And as the as members of Congress uh, join this this uh, caucus, um, the family will really be getting some support from from Washington. Um, as the the caucus is is not uh, they don't uh, cobble out legislation like a committee does. Caucus meets in order to have like minded members of Congress talk about their issue and, you know, what can be done. So there is a lot of the, the legislation can be, uh, will be germinated in the, in the caucus and then later on hammered out and, and defined in, in the legislation and then voted on. But the, um, the caucus gives a, gives pro-family uh, politicians a place to talk and listen to others like-minded people. And uh, the uh, how do we you know how do you find pro family? Uh, what we did last year in American Family Project is we came up with a scorecard uh, of congressional votes. Now everything that Congress does affects the family somehow, and so we had a, we took a very broad approach in counting these votes. Uh, of course, it was education, taxes, um, and, but then we all there were also a lot of votes on, you know, promoting sinful behavior and 
trampling on parents' rights. So that was also on the scorecard, as well as foreign policy. Uh, we did, we had a couple of foreign policy votes in our in our scorecard. Fifteen members of Congress got 100 uh, percent pro-family, and so we went around giving them certificates of appreciation. Um, and out of that, <clears throat> uh, Mary Miller picked up on the idea of having a family caucus and made it happen. So we were we were very pleased to have that to see that. Um, what can the what will the well, family Tom, project tell about the uh, the importance of having a having this group really uh, get together and now with a you know with a conservative narrow majority uh, in uh, in Congress right now uh, talk about the importance of kind of banding together with those like minding and like minded and, and and like voting representative right well there's only I don't like to I like to think of the family issue as a as a bipartisan thing, right? But right now, the reality is <clears throat> that it's Republicans versus Democrats. Um, and so whatever the Family Caucus initiates, uh, probably, I mean, it, it might be uh, approved in, in, the, in the House, but it won't get through Schumer's Senate or Biden's uh, executive position. So... <clears throat> Well, what they can do is leave a track record uh, of pro-family or anti-family votes in Congress, uh, and they've already started. Well, then outside of the Congress, outside of the caucus, Congress has already started moving in this direction. They've they've passed the Survivors of Abortion Act, uh, which every Democrat, almost every Democrat, voted against, and they're working now on a, on a Parents' Bill of Rights. So. My, my organization, American Family Project, will be scoring these. And at the time of the next election, uh, they're going to be have, they're going to have to defend uh, a whole long list of anti-family uh, votes that they've taken. Uh, the other thing is is funding initiatives. Of course, the legislature, the House, has the um, the funding power, and although this monstrous uh, budget was request was released uh, last week by by Biden um, the family caucus along with other committees will be you know kind of fine-tuning that looking at it very very carefully in order to um, uh, get rid of any funding that that is offensive to the family um, and one of the things is the uh, federal funding, for government education speech that constrains the free speech rights of parents. Here I'm thinking particularly of that most intimate of conversations that parents have with their children regarding their sexuality and the proper use of their body. The government has stepped in here very strongly, but there's no place for the government in in that conversation. So hopefully um, the family caucus will be leading the charge to defund at least the federal funding of this. Of course, you know, the offensive stuff takes place in the classroom, but uh, there's a there's a very clear paper trail between uh, funding from the Department of Education to these crazy teachers that think that they own the, own the, the, the students. So that's another thing. But a very important 
thing that the caucus will be doing is building the language to defend the family. You know, most pro-family, and this is true for even those uh, those uh, legislators who, who rated pro-family, they have a hard time talking about or defending the family. You know, they get tongue-tied, they, they're insecure when they're challenged by the enemies of the family. So we're going to try to help them uh, build up that language, a synthesis of divine human wisdom. Um, you know, this parents' bill of rights that I was talking about earlier, uh, this is positive law, which is good, and you know, but it gets voted on. It could get voted out sometime. But what, what we need um, is to, and, and you know, the opponents will look at this, well, they passed this bill because they've got the power, they've got the votes. But what we, what we want to get across is that this is not a matter of power having the right number of votes, um, but that it's, you know, we're, we're looking for the truth here. Um, and so we could, we have the opportunity to have the pro-family laws that are backed up by natural law arguments. And the other thing, the last, the last thing that the, I see the, the Family Caucus doing is messaging to the country. I mean, we're messaging whether the caucus, I can't, speak for the, for the caucus, but caucus is, is telling American families that Washington has not forgotten about them. Um, it's telling state legislators who are closer to the family that you could have a pro-family caucus and then take look at everything that you do at the state level in terms of the family. And then we're sending, or the, sorry, the uh, caucus is sending a message to the enemies of the family that uh, the Marines have landed and are here to win. <laughs> oh, that's some good news, some good news. Tom McDonough is with us from Washington today, co-founder and president of the American Family Project, talking about a new congressional family caucus to kind of uh, be in that fight and take that uh, fight back to those who are attacking the family. Now, with that narrow majority for Republicans, for pro-family folks in uh, in the House, that's an opportunity to uh, control spending. It isn't an automatic opportunity with uh, still a Democratic majority in the Senate and, of course, in the in the White House to get all kinds of legislation passed. But uh, stress again the, the value of bringing these things up to get them in front of the public consciousness and also to hold uh, those who'd vote against the family's feet to the fire come election time. Yeah, well, um, you know, families feel disenfranchised. There's big government big and big lobbyists, you know, pharma, big education, and not to mention the military-industrial complex um, that's really led us to the verge of nuclear war. Um, nobody feels that they're getting their fair share of, of input into these issues. And you know, perhaps the narrative is being controlled. Um, and so the, family, the Congressional Family Caucus gives families um, you know, are, are speaking out in, in, in defense of families. Um, you know, we're, everybody else has a big voice, you know, the, every industry, banking. Or, and so we're hoping to give the, the uh, family a big voice in Congress through the, through the caucus. And, uh, you know, I, I would be happy to hear from your listeners um, you know, what, what they think the federal government could be doing. Um, you know, if they if they were to drop a comment at my website, 
amfamproject.org. I'd love to hear them um, because, you know, I've, <clears throat> we've got our own. I'm inside the beltway, so I, I, I try to come up with ideas. And our staff, you know, staff is constantly working on uh, the right issues. But um, I'd, I'd love to hear from from your your constituency. Yep. Absolutely, that, Tom. Um, I just want to point out, we'd love to hear from folks right now, too, if they have a question for you live on the air here at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Uh, questions or comments for Tom McDonough, co-founder and president of the American Family Project. Uh, Tom, I want to ask you, too, in terms of politics a little bit, we would think that, uh, okay, if there's a Republican majority in uh, in the House right now, there's a chance to you know, push the, the agenda for families a little better. Is there also some education that needs to be done in terms of the last election? Some figured that Republicans didn't come out strongly enough on the, some family issues in terms of, of life, and so there maybe needs to be a little education done there, perhaps. Well, absolutely. And again, this is one of the things we're trying to do, that um, to feed the family caucus um, good arguments, good good introduce them to um, reliable experts in particular fields, um, be, kind of being a clearinghouse. My, my you know, American Family Project hopes to be a clearinghouse for, for issues that, um, that the, uh, family, the Congressional Family Caucus can be considering. The other thing is that you know, there's a lot of I, – I would encourage everybody to be civically engaged to a point that they, you know, to raise their civil, whatever level of civil engagement they're in now, to raise that, because <clears throat> the enemies of the family are fully engaged. You know, they are very active, um, and you know, the good people, the family people, are all, you know, they got their kids and their family, and and uh, trying to trying to live on a meager budget, but we've got to vote. We've got to uh, send send signals. Um, for instance, uh, your your audience could petition their their representatives to join the caucus and to find out, you know, if they if they if they're anti-family to to let them know that there's something new here and that, uh, to watch out because um, you know the family caucus is there within Congress. We're outside of Congress. We're doing our our scorecard. And by the next election, we will have issued five scorecards. And for any Democrat to come up five times zero uh, with an anti-family score, um, I don't know how long a Democrat or a party is going to endure being identified as anti-family. I think people are going to start to wake up. Tom, do the anti-family forces need to be more clearly identified, perhaps, as they've really come out swinging, especially since the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Well, whether they're, you know, the, the sources of, of all that uh, are a little bit harder to identify, but but through my scorecard, uh, the American Family Project's scorecard, we will very clearly identify the, the members of Congress who are voting anti-family. Um, and I encourage your your uh, audience to go to uh, amfamproject.org. And one of our, on, the, on the top we have projects, and one of those is a scorecard. Take a look at that scorecard. You can you can um, sort it by uh, district, by 
name or by score. And, you know, you see how many zeros are out there. And if, if a representative with a zero score is in your, is represents your district, um, you know, let's do something about that. This is a great idea for, for Congress. Anything on the, on the Senate side that might be like this? Not right now. Uh, you know, it took, I don't, I don't know when the, the pro-family caucus was started in the House, but the Senate took a long time to come up with a pro, pro-life, I'm sorry, a pro-life caucus. And, uh, but th- that, that could be a possibility in the future. It could be um, we, we make it bicameral so that there's one caucus for the Senate and for the, for the House and the Senate. They talk to each other. That would be a wonderful uh, development. Uh, right now, I mean, we're very pleased just that it got off the ground. Uh, but um, right in, and the American Family Project right now is just focusing on the House to get some momentum there. Uh, I actually like dealing with the members of the House um, where the senator um, – well, they're not my kind of populist style, <laughs> but uh, but certainly, you know, there's some good things happening in the Senate, but not at the top. Um, you know, um, JD, JD Vance is, is wonderful. Hawley is wonderful. And um, there may be a way to bring all these people together. Do you see the this last midterm election that was thought to be well okay uh, normally uh, in the middle of uh, you know a, a new president's term uh, the other party makes some big gains uh, in the midterm elections that wasn't quite the case this time do you, do you see this as a chance to you know kind of remind people hey there's work to do we can't assume that there'll be positive change without working for it no absolutely everybody's got to work for it I mean the Congressional Family Caucus is working to come up with the right ideas, the right legislation for the family. American Family Project is, you know, we're we're doing our part, but every every voter out there um, needs to be looking at these issues much more carefully. Voting, um, it's it, you know, it's not the the right solution is not to vote because you don't you know you don't like um, the guy in your party person in your party uh, the um, uh, it's just so very important to be engaged at, at, at every level um, you know first you know, running for school board uh, and so many other things that people can be doing um, but the other side is as I mentioned is very well very much engaged and you know, you're you're a Catholic radio station. Back in June, 57 members of Congress signed a statement of principles that, although you know that we are a practicing Catholic, good Catholics, as they call them, call themselves, but we vote by our conscience. And all 57 of these got zero on our scorecard, and 44 have come back into Congress. Um, they're an embarrassment to Catholicism and, and the family. Um, and yet they're, they're, um, so these are Catholic, Catholic politicians or politicians call themselves Catholic. And, um, we really need to change that, you know, vote these people out and, uh, uh get good people in there.
Yeah, we really have to dig in a little deeper than just going by uh, self-identifying labels, even if they are related to faith. Hey, and, and finally, uh, Tom, before we let you go, just any encouragement to those who you know, have good hearts, good hearts for the family, would like to make a difference through politics, but maybe have been turned off by the way they see politics operate. But that need, like you say, even at the smallest local levels, to get good uh, family-supporting people in, in uh, ultimately elected places of power. Yeah, well, they, they just by... By voting, uh, what they could do is your your audience could um, uh, go to my website, get on our newsletter, which so every every month or so we'll be uh, we'll have some news on what's going on in Washington in this area. You know, then we they can call their congressman, email, um, uh, but um, you know through through our our newsletter they could be more involved, more informed on, on what, is, what is happening in Washington and, and uh, in, in terms of the family. Uh, that's one I, uh, America, of amfamproject.org um, and sign up for our, for our newsletter. Well, very good. Certainly hey, Tom, involved. thanks so much for your, your good efforts uh, in uh, lining up folks who are pro-family in Washington, D.C. We appreciate your time with us this morning. Co-founder and president of the American Family Project, working with the Congressional Family Caucus. Uh, Tom McDonough joining us. There's more coming up. Emily Jaminet on the way next, uh, looking at how to have a more loving Lent. That and a new story corner all coming up as we continue right around the corner with more of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning morning. Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. Glenn and for John today on Morning Air. Thanks for joining us here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app as well. How's your Lent going? My goodness, we just have a few weeks left to go here. We're making it through. Uh, Depending on uh, the weather in your part of the country, it might seem like an extra long Lent, an extra Lenty Lent as well. (laughs) We're going to talk about some ways to have a more loving Lent. That sounds good to me. Emily Jamadit, Catholic author, speaker, regular guest here on Morning Air, joins us this morning. Good morning, Emily. How are you doing today? Good morning, Glenn. It's great to hear your voice. I'm working on having a more loving Lent. How does that sound for a goal as we are right smack in the middle of this great spiritual journey? Well, that sounds great because sometimes we can set ourselves up for Lent to be just this uh, isolated marathon we're doing by ourselves in our quest for for, uh, perfection and we're not making it, we're stumbling and we're trying to get back up again and we're making it sometimes extra hard on ourselves and extra self-focused when it needs to be focused, uh, as always, with our faith toward others around us. Yes, and one of the greatest gifts about being Catholic is that we're not going to love on our own will. We're loving through the heart of Jesus, where we ask Christ to fill our hearts with his perfect love, to touch our hearts, and then that's the love we are called to share to others. You know, Glenn, I can't help but think about um, the scripture of Ezekiel 36 26, where we're called to take our stony hearts and turn them into hearts of flesh. And to me, that's where we are in this liturgical season and the season of Lent is how do we get maybe some of those pebbles that have filled our hearts, those stones, and allow the Lord to touch us, to to free us from that so that we can love Christ, especially in a new way, and our neighbor, our family, and those all around us. Mm. 
Yes, indeed, making it be more than just about us, uh, a critical part of Lent. Part of what we do for Lent, you know, we try to figure out our plan, right? We're going to do some extra prayers, some extra almsgiving, and then, of course, uh, the penance, whatever we're going to try and perfectly give up, and uh, that becomes difficult to do. Do we need to realize sometimes uh, we need to listen to the Lent that God wants for us a little more than the Lent that we think we should have? You know, Glenn, as a mom of seven children (laughs) and also heavily involved in spiritual ministry and a Catholic author, I see such a need for, you know, us setting ourselves up for a spiritual successful Lent. And that's when we really get off of our own will and we we get out of our own little spiritual silo and we say, Lord, you know, what, what are you calling me to do? Sometimes through ordinary living, certain situations pop up. You know, how can I offer this up to you, Jesus? How can I, you know, allow you to work through me? And how can your love be really that source that drives all of those acts? It's it's one thing to do great, great things, but it's important that we do them with love. That is so fundamental. And, and really the work that I do at welcomeisheart.com is reminding people of the importance of the love of Christ so that we can, you know, be that vessel as as Christ has asked us to be. Well, and to know that if we have fallen down on what we had hoped to do, maybe we need to combine what we had hoped to do with God seems to be uh, putting on our hearts or right in our path that we seem to trip over <laughs> during Lent. There's uh, there's still plenty of time to, to pick up some better practices perhaps for Lent. And because they are good practices to keep them going well beyond Easter as well. I know one of the things that uh, you'd sent along in preparation for the show today is uh, looking at 10 ways to grow closer to the heart of Jesus. Yeah, I think it's really important that we um, set that path, like we said, a roadmap, get some very important uh, highlights, some very important aspects of our Catholic faith through the lens of love and seeing that the church has provided these as opportunities for us to encounter the Lord, right? We live in a very secular world. If you turn to secular society for these great spiritual reminders on the love of Christ, you have to look pretty hard to see them. So it's important that we turn to our faith for that renewal. And the first um, suggestion I have is allowing the Holy Eucharist to be your strength. I remember a good friend of mine said he was off to Eucharistic Adoration. And I said, where are you going? He's like, I'm off to my radiation treatment. And I said, what? And he said, I'm off to receive the holy rays of the Lord to touch my heart and to spend some time in prayer. Rays of love, he called it. And I just have held that as a little nugget in my own heart that, you know, as if it's adoration, if it's going to mass and receiving um, Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, that we know that this is our spiritual food for the journey, that the Lord died for us and gave us this Holy Eucharist as our strength. Well, it was mentioned at my uh, at my parish in the homily yesterday, too, to be joyful about our faith. And even during the midst of Lent, if we hope to attract others to, to share this beautiful faith we have. And uh, the example you just mentioned, Emily, to, to look at, uh, you know, even to describe uh, a time in adoration is a radiation uh, treatment. But to, to look at what we're doing uh, in a positive way, in a, okay, I have to do this, but all those, all those get-tos, even those uh, get to uh, be a little more austere in the way we're living, because it'll help us focus a little more on Christ, hopefully. Absolutely. Very, very important. And, you know, the other key to this beautiful season of Lent um, is the opportunity of reconciliation. And, you know, if you just open your parish bulletin, 
You'd be amazed at the amount of hours our priests are spending in the confessional waiting for us to come and be with them so that our souls can be set free from sin. And if we can view confession as an opportunity to be set free from sin, you know, it might get us there a little sooner. And I, I know that for many of us, it might have been a while since we've gone to confession. Uh, I had some college kids returning home over the weekend uh, on their their uh, holiday break. And, you know, I reminded them of the importance of reconciliation. And it's it's a joy to be able to see your children engaging with that sacrament. But the truth is, is that the Lord wants to set us free from our bondage and for us to view the sacrament as a sacrament of love. It's such an opportunity. Oh, it certainly is. And uh, one that, uh, you know, technically we're required to do uh, during Lent if we're down to, to once a year, if we've been really, really good. Uh, <laughs> it's just the, the once a year. But to, to look at it again is an opportunity like we talk about. And we should be doing it because it's the right thing to do, not just because it feels good. But, you know, if it's been a while, just remember that how, how good it felt walking out. You know, you're walking out kind of smiling and everybody's walking in frowning. Well, they'll be smiling shortly. But, uh, you know, that opportunity to, to uh, really unburden yourself. And that frees us, as we talk about in Lent, to not so be hyper-focused on ourselves, but when we can get rid of those sins, that helps us to better focus on others. You know, I'm so thankful for the gift of reconciliation, especially as a Catholic parent. So I can't say enough about, you know, witnessing to your children by going and utilizing the sacrament and then encouraging your children um, to go as well. The third way to grow closer to the heart of Jesus is literally have a heart to heart with the sacred heart. You know, Jesus is meek and is humble. We we read about that in the scriptures. We know through the devotion of the sacred heart and the revelations of St. Margaret Mary, which this year, 2023, marks 350 years since this beautiful devotion was given to us officially through the great disciple, the sacred heart, St. Margaret Mary. But what, what we learn is that Jesus' heart burns out of a love for, for, you know, for us. He wants us to know how much he loves. And that's why in this beautiful devotion, his heart is outside of his body. So, you know, what, what better way is to see God as a loving God and that he gave us his, his wonderful son and then this devotion of, of having a heart to heart. You know, what, what do we need to talk about with our Lord? And obviously, and maybe not so obviously, but through developing a prayer life. Remembering that he loves us and he's cheering for us is sometimes hard to do during Lent when we're focused uh, so much on the hard work that he did uh, to be able to sacrifice to save us. We think I'm not worthy and we are not, but there is joy there because he did that because he loves us so much. And uh, might that message of love be something that we can note uh, a little bit more to, to share and be an example of toward others? Absolutely. So, so important. And, you know, as Glenn, as with our, our dear friends and our spouse, we have these heart to hearts, these sharings, you know, let's, let's do that with our Lord. And, you know, the next point is, you know, working on your prayer routine. I can't say enough about your morning prayer routine. One of my most important emails that come in in the morning is the daily readings from the USCCB, you know, knowing where we are in the liturgy of the year, knowing, you know, where, what are the readings of the day? I've been able to connect with these and I, I work with RCIA um, participants in this like, this is such a gift that we're all praying on the same scriptures. We're all being fed from the same scriptures. So, you know, uh, having some time where we, we have scripture, we have prayer, and, and we set aside that time so that the Lord can speak to us in those early moments before we, our day gets behind us. 
Well, and uh, I find that to be just a great way to be in touch with Scripture. Folks may uh, start and may or may not finish various uh, Bible reading programs, trying to get through Scripture in a year, which are all beautiful. And uh, depending how they're set up, uh, get you to know really well some of the uh, the first books of the Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, depending how far you get, uh, you know, good luck with Leviticus and things like that. But uh, to, to be, like you said, kind of in line with what the church is doing around the country uh, on a daily basis, checking those daily readings and get you a bit of scripture, especially if you can't make it to Mass. Uh, just a, a great way to go. And you mentioned working with folks in RCIA. And, and how important, you know, sometimes Catholics will talk about not uh, being overly familiar with scripture, but we have so much in Mass, and it is focused on so much with those uh, folks maybe coming into church for Easter Vigil, learning about the faith and being taken out to discuss, uh, you know, more in depth uh, the gospel reading for each and every Sunday. And that shows a, a true focus on scripture. So let's not forget that. We have that, and we strive to do that, and, and you can do that, too. Got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Emily Jaminet uh, returns, as do we, and hopefully you, too, here as we continue with more of Morning Ear. Story Corner coming up in a little bit, too, all here at Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Saturday morning, so the older I got, the harder it was to get up early enough to see that. But uh, great cartoon, and of course, uh, several motion pictures as well with Peter Sellers' uh, Pink Panther creeping through your morning here as we continue with Morning Air on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. It's Glenn in for John today. Story Corner coming up in just a few minutes. We continue our conversation now with Catholic wife and mom, author and speaker, regular guest here on Morning Air, Emily Jaminet, joining us today to look at how we can make Lent. Uh, more loving, how our faith is really, it's meant to transform our hearts and renew our love for Jesus and for others. And, you know, we're getting back to some of the basics in, in Lent, too. And this is uh, something, Emily, I think where we all need to, you know, maybe a little help. Uh, you know, we can buck one another up a little bit right now uh, on the, the fasting and sacrificing, which, uh, you know, may or may not be going smoothly here that, uh, midway through Lent. You know, fasting and sacrifice um, is invited. We're invited to participate in that as Catholics. I like to remind my children, and it's a beautiful sign of first that we're we're growing, we're stretching, we're maybe discovering an area that's challenging for us. But the truth is, is that God wants to offer us new grace. This is a season of so much grace to tap into, and maybe you might break a particular habit that's really important with regards to especially food and and sacrifice. Um, I I remember, Glenn, there was uh, a Lent that I had to, I knew I needed to give up drive-through coffee. It just was always on my mind all the time. What a sacrifice. As an American American woman, how can you do that? My goodness. (laughs) What strength. (laughs) I, I noticed it had a grip on me. I was thinking about it a lot. And, you know, that one Lent made a huge difference because I definitely realized that I can brew my own coffee. Um, I gave money um, which to a great organization I had picked out, and I, I just, it made a big difference. But that's a tiny example, but one that maybe the Lord is inviting you to to make that same kind of sacrifice. Um, fasting is is one that it's, it's, it's freedom. Let's view it as freedom, not, not as I have to, right, Glenn? 
Absolutely. It, it develops freedom. That's the thing. It's hard work at first, but the, the more we have mastery over the stuff that we're trying to eliminate, uh, the easier it gets to be chained to some of those things. Hey, as a mom of seven, just wanted to chat a little bit about kids and let minor grown now. But in terms of the, the fasting and sacrificing, we would be surprised at, at how good kids can be about that sometime. I remember my oldest daughter gave up sweets a couple different lengths and, uh, you know, it wasn't an automatic, but her birthday always falls during Lent and she did not even want birthday cake. We're like, oh, come on, it's your feast. It's your feast day. You can have some. And, nope. And uh, we, we had some, but she did not. And so sometimes we can underestimate the, the, uh, the power of our kids to be a good example for us. It's really a great example that you brought up, kids, because let's turn it through Lent as a family. You know, it's very important that we um, come together and we allow this to be a season of growth for the whole family. I would say that, as you mentioned, you know, making sure that your children understand why you, we don't eat meat on Fridays, you know, reminding them of that important thing, especially if they go to a school that would possibly serve meat. Um, and, and having those conversations with our children is really, really important when it when we talk about sacrifices. And, you know, um, Glenn, it leads into my next point of the importance of breaking bad habits. And in Catholic families, a lot of times, you know, we might have some habits in, in how we're interacting. Maybe we've lost um, really some basic respect or manners. Maybe our voice is just a little too loud and we're, we've incorporated more yelling into our, our family life. You know, this is the season that it's time to, to break those bad habits and allow us, as I, we talked in the beginning, our hearts to be touched by the Lord so that we can love the way Christ has called us to love. This season is a season of tremendous love and grace. And this is the time that we need to break those bad habits, not on our own will, but through the grace of our Lord. And when we talk about things to give up for Lent, is oh, I'm going to give up this sin for Lent. Well, no, no, uh, give it up for good, please. But uh, <laughs> good time to work on some of those, uh, you know, whether they're a near occasion of sin or they're just a bad habit, a plain old bad habit, uh, a good time to, you know, as you're bathing yourself, maybe a little more in, uh, in Scripture and other spiritual reading and thoughts this uh, time of year during Lent, a good time to use that power to help you break some of those habits as well. Focusing on what really matters, that's part of getting rid of some of those uh, little conveniences, hopefully, is to leave space to be replaced by focusing on what really matters. You know, that's true, Glenn. And um, as as we were talking about family life, uh, families are so under attack by basic screens. You know, the phones never stop. The media is always on. And this is a great season to have that screen-free time. Maybe you need to recommit in this area as parents or, you know, as grandparents, I say, you know, de definitely, you know, allow, remember, this is your home, you know, encourage your grandchildren to put their phones down when you spend time with them. That's, that's not too much of a request, but this is a great time to say what really matters. How can we unplug and refocus, even if it's just on Sunday or, you know, in the evenings, but let's, let's make sure we have that screen free time so that we can hear the voice of the Lord. And being present to those around us, what a great gift that is and how that can really stand out in today's world. And it isn't just the, the magical evil screen that we have necessarily. In the old days, it might have been the newspaper if, uh, you know, dad was hiding behind that after dinner when the kids really needed to talk or needed some help with the homework. That is something that needed to, to be done. Put down that paper, uh, you know, turn off the TV or put down that phone, whatever it might be. These are all superpowers that can be used for good, but at the appropriate time. And the, the highest order ought to be those really right 
around us, right around us, and including our spouse, making sure that we are in touch with regular communication about not only the household chores, but the bigger picture too, huh? You know, I think I can't stress enough about praying with your spouse. Uh, This morning, my husband and I prayed our St. Joseph Novena prayer together. And, you know, a lot of times you can be looking for that perfect moment to say that prayer. But the truth is it might just be right after you pour that coffee, you're sitting at the kitchen table, you're a little sleepy, and you say, let's say our prayer together. You know, and the importance of incorporating prayer, it might feel awkward at first. It might feel really new for you. But there we all are flooded with so many prayer intentions a lot of times we might nag and, and talk about, but let's bring them to Jesus. Let's, let's make room in our marriage for our Lord to help us and strengthen us. I think it was back from my Protestant radio days many decades ago, a preacher talking about how, you know, he would pray with his spouse every night. And they had their rule, though, that you would pray, but you couldn't ask your spouse about what they prayed about for another 24 hours. Uh, so as opposed to, you know, one spouse brings up something uh, that they might want the Lord to help with in the relationship or something, and they it wasn't intended to, to end in a fight instantly. Uh, but uh, and that was meant partly in jest. But boy, Emily, you talk about building intimacy in a relationship, to be able to pray together over the same things or individual things, but to pray together. Uh, you know, if you're praying for your children together, but praying for one another together, a very, very beautiful and intimate and good relationship building exercise. It really is. And especially when we share our gratitudes, gratitudes to the Lord Jesus, what he's doing in our life, what we're seeing. And, and that's an important lens in this culture. We don't focus enough about that. We need to really set our eyes on the Lord and allow us to be overflowed with that. As you mentioned, joy and peace and love, the attributes of the kingdom are are at our fingertips, but we need to ask the Lord into our life and and really begin to change our heart and change our lens on how we view things. Some practical tips for Lent as we're making our way through uh, the middle of Lent and maybe the muddle of Lent as well, but uh, what can help as we muddle through maybe to you know, and sometimes it's a reflection of how cluttered our mind is, but our, our environment to keep it a little more uncluttered. Yes, I know. Decluttering during Lent and love, you know, you might wonder, well, what's Emily talking about? But the truth is when we declutter, we might be able to be very generous to those around us. We might be, you know, having a bag of clothes that'd be perfect for the next door neighbor as that child is is entering that same season. Decluttering to share some of the the, the things that you no longer need at this time and, and let others know that you are thinking of them. But also the decluttering allows you to get past the material and into the immaterial, focusing on our Lord. So I love to make this a season of deep cleaning and preparing and, and really preparing my heart and my home for Easter. Mm-hmm. I lugged several bags of uh, no longer desired clothing from the extra bedroom to my wife's trunk yesterday. So I know that of which you speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, another thing, too, here, and we're so glad that uh, folks who are listening, spending time with us today, spending your audio time with Relevant Radio and Morning Air, but keeping an eye on how you spend your time during Lent. And I don't know if it's just with maybe getting older, not that I, I feel like I am, but I certainly... I think I am if I pass a mirror, but uh, time goes quicker the older we get, but keeping an eye on how we spend our time and not wasting too much of it. You know, one of the things that I've been really saying this Lent is that you want to have a purposeful day, right? A day that begins in prayer, 
that has a nice routine to it, a nice rhythm to it. Um, you know, and, and it's not about just filling your day to be busy, but you know, what's the Lord wanting of this day? One of the things I've noticed on how I spend my time is if I'm really cranky at three o'clock, maybe I just need a 10 minute rest to be renewed before the children come home. Or if I start to feel that tired, you know, so setting yourself up for success, being in tune with your heart and, and wondering, you know, as we strive for virtue, that's something that's really important is that we're on a great mission to grow in virtue, to grow in holiness, to make sure the kingdom um, is in our heart, that others see that you're striving for this. So how you spend your time is really important and staying away from the sins of sloth um, and, and ones that that maybe just allow us to justify the standard of the world. But let's let's embrace the standard of the kingdom. You know, on the other side of that, perhaps, and I think I might be a little guilty of that this Lent, too, is uh, piling on too many things. They weren't Lent-specific, but, uh, you know, to go from work to work to shoveling to church things, and it, uh, you know, we're getting almost to the edge of burnout a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it okay for people to switch up some of their Lenten activities? What they had planned maybe isn't going as well, and Lent is, you know, if Lent isn't becoming a better spiritual experience, but a but a worse spiritual experience for you. Maybe it's okay to switch up in the middle a bit. That's why we really need to focus, right, Glenn, on our heart, you know, making sure that this season grows and expands our heart so that the Lord fills our heart, renews those areas. You know, he says to me, come to me all who are burdened and I shall give you rest. Lent is not a season of being burdened. Lent is a season of great renewal. Think of it as laying those deep roots, you know, of roots embedded deep in our faith so that we can be that witness. And I, I see that, you know, as, as we are all, you know, in the world, but, but striving not to be of it, it's important that our Lent is um, a witness, but also an opportunity to encounter the Lord and see that he loves us so much that he's given us these 40 days, this beautiful season of great spiritual growth. Well, we appreciate uh, this kind of boost mid-Lent here. I think it helps us all. Always a joy to talk with you, Emily Jaminet, joining us today. And uh, look forward to another chat again in the very near future. Emily, thanks so much for your time this morning as we continue with Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app with a look at today's Story Corner. Our story today called Perfect Peace. There once was a king who offered a prize to the artist who would paint the best picture of peace. Many artists tried. The king looked at all the pictures, but there were only two that he really liked, and he had to choose between them. One picture was of a calm lake. The lake was a perfect mirror for a peaceful towering mountain. And beauty all around it, overhead a blue sky with fluffy white clouds, and all who saw this picture thought it was the perfect picture of peace. The other picture had mountains too, but These were rugged and bare. Above was an angry sky from which rain fell and which lightning played. Down the side of the mountain tumbled a foaming waterfall, and this did not look peaceful at all. But when the king looked closely, he saw behind the waterfall a tiny bush growing in a crack in the rock. In the bush, a mother bird had built her nest. There, in the midst of the rush of angry water, sat the mother bird on her nest in perfect peace. Which picture do you think won the prize? The king chose the second picture. You know why? Because, explained the king, peace does not mean to be in a place where there's no noise, trouble, or hard work. 
peace means be in the midst of all those things and still be calm in your heart. That's the real meaning of peace. In John 16, 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world.